You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. The absence of light. The loss of direction. No frame of reference. The presence of fear and uncertainty. Void. And then... A light. It starts as a flicker. It's not glaring for all to see. But it's a light nonetheless. Beautiful and mysterious, helping us to see, guiding us, warming us, comforting us. It is growing. It is shining brighter now. In one timeless moment, something of heaven is birthed through the tears of a teenage girl and the cry of a newborn baby king. All of heaven is perched at the edge of the sky, watching, waiting. God is sending the light of heaven into the dark of this world, to the young, to the old, to the weak, to the strong, to the lost, to the found. He is coming to us. He is walking with us. He is dying for us. He is living in us. Our unthinkable darkness is being shattered by unbearable light. And we gather to see, to view with fresh eyes again, the light that all the darkness in the world cannot ever extinguish. Jesus is the light of the world. All right, so a light shines in darkness is what we're going to be looking at today in our passage in Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 2 through 7, and I just want to say very quickly, thank you for coming out this morning. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. And uh, we are going to be looking at these five verses this morning and just seeing how a prophet, a Hebrew prophet, prophesied hundreds of years before that Jesus was going to come and what he was going to bring and why he is, is here, why he has come to set up his spiritual kingdom in our hearts. Well, I want to start by sharing a letter with you that was addressed to Santa Claus, North Pole. And it was received in the Washington Post Office in our capital, And the postmaster general was touched by the urgency of the request. You see, it was from a a young boy who wasn't asking for toys, but was asking for food and clothing for his family. 
The cabinet member addressed a reply to the little boy on official stationery, saying that Santa Claus had referred the matter to him and that the $50 that was enclosed was a gift from the North Pole. The following year, another letter addressed to Santa Claus, written by the same boy, appeared in the Postmaster General's office again. And when it was opened by the cabinet member, he read the following words. Dear Santa, you were very kind to me last year, and I appreciate it very much. But next time you send me money, don't forward it through the government. Those men always keep half of what they receive. (laughs) Now, if you laughed at that this morning, that's because there's an element of truth in it. We all know it. But in our Bible passage today, we're going to be talking about a government which rules with fairness and justice for all eternity. It will be quite unlike the governments of the world that we have today. You see, in the world today, there are many different types of governments, and each one of them with their own ideology and philosophy. And you can see how these governments, human governments, are vying for human opinion. They want us to see if they're working or not. And you've got your communists, you've got dictatorships, we've got the Republic of the United States of America, which I believe has all the proof of being the best government in the world. And yet, at the same time, we see it beginning to fail us in in Congress in in Washington today. And, And it's because of that human element. And I believe that God wants all of us to recognize and to realize that no matter how good the government could be on paper... Because of sin and human nature, no government that is operated by humans is ever going to be, is ever going to achieve salvation the way that God's government is meant to achieve salvation. And that is because, and that is what we are celebrating today, because the coming of Jesus Christ is what brings hope of God's goodness and God's salvation. So sure of this hope was the prophet Isaiah that when he wrote about it in the prophecy that we're about to read, he wrote about it in the past tense as if it had already happened. You see, God was speaking to the prophet and he was showing him not only the first advent of the Messiah, the first coming of Jesus Christ, in which he set up his spiritual kingdom in our hearts, But the prophet was also able to see forward to the second advent, the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is a part of Christmas, which is a part of what we're celebrating today, is that we're not just looking back on December 25th, 2018, we are also looking forward with anticipation to the government that Jesus Christ is one day going to bring to our world and to our lives So let's read together the passage that is before us for today's message. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we begin, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. In verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Let's pause right here for a moment after just reading those two verses, verse 2 and verse 3. And in them, we see that Isaiah is describing the hope that is to come with the Messiah. When the Messiah is born, 
He is going to bring a light in the darkness, he says there in verse 2. Have you ever thought about how beautiful light is for a moment? Light comforts us. Light warms us. Light gives us direction and guidance so that we can see. But light can also be very beautiful. How many of you guys like to take a moment with your family and ride around and look at lights during this holiday season? How many of you have been over to Crazy House this Christmas season yet with the family? Ideally, you want to do that trip with some hot chocolate, right, in the car with you, hopefully, and just enjoy the beauty of the lights. Well, guess what, guys? Jesus Christ is the most beautiful light you can ever imagine. He is God's light to the world. You see, Israel was going through hard times when Isaiah the prophet was writing these words. He had just prophesied of the destruction of Judah. And because of the sin of Judah and their kings, they were going to have to to face God's judgment for a time. But not only that, they were also surrounded by pagan people who worshipped a plurality of gods. They They were living in a dark place and a dark time. And yet into their midst, Isaiah prophesied that light would come. And not just any light, but this beautiful light, God's own son, the Messiah, he would leave heaven and step down into the darkness of mankind and become a human being. That man is Jesus Christ, of course. He told us that he would do so. And he, he, he himself, when he came on the scene and walked the earth as a human being, listen to what he said in John 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Let's pause for a moment and think about what Jesus is saying to you and I here. You see, the same Uh, Jesus, who was prophesied of by Isaiah, when he came into the world, he said this about himself as well. He said, I am the light of the world. Those that follow Jesus, those that receive him, receive his teaching, and follow in his footsteps, won't walk in darkness, Jesus said. Because you're going to have the light that leads to eternal life. That's an amazing statement when you think about it. And it's an amazing claim that Jesus would say, yeah, I am the light of the world, guys. I do have the truth that you need. And I will illuminate you with that truth if you come to me and surrender your life to me and trust and follow me. Paul spoke of Jesus as the light of God as well, who shines in the darkness In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul writing said this, For God who said, let there be light in the darkness. I just want to pause right there for a moment. Think about that statement with me. The whole reason that light exists, the whole reason that light shines, the whole reason that darkness flees when a light is turned on is simply because God said, let there be light in the darkness. That's a pretty amazing thing when you think about it. That all of the stars, the sun, the moon, the galaxy around us with all of its lights, God is the one who spoke those into existence. He created this whole principle that whenever a light is turned on, darkness has to flee. 
That all comes from God, the Creator. And He says this, this God, He has made this light to shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying that Jesus Christ is the reflection of God's glorious light. And that as we come to Jesus, we're actually coming to God Himself. And Jesus is revealing the Father to us. And that light that He imparts as we receive, Jesus comes to live in our hearts. And He illuminates our darkness. His light shines in the darkness of our lives so that we can be set free, so that we can no longer be held down, so that we can go and reflect that same love and light to others that God has placed us around in this world. You see, when a person receives Jesus, we receive the light of God, which is meant to shine in us first, expelling the darkness, the fear, the sin, and, and then, not only in us, but then through us, lighting up the darkness around us and helping to bring truth that sets people free. That is what Jesus has planned for you and for me. Not only does the truth, the light of God in Jesus Christ set us free, but it also fills us with joy. Notice in verse 3, the prophet tells us that Jesus will be a joy for God's people who brings rejoicing. That word rejoice is used a couple of different times in verse 3. But, but we must ask the question this morning, why is it that Jesus, the Messiah, brings joy? Why is it that Isaiah prophesies of joy being part of what Jesus brings, that hope that he brings? Well, it's all about the relationship. It's all about the relationship that God is offering to you and to me through Jesus Christ. That relationship of who we know, coming to trust in Jesus Christ, God's Son, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that relationship is meant to fill our lives with joy. It's meant to overflow our hearts and to the point where we are going, wow, God, I can't believe that this has actually happened to me, that you love me, that you chose me, that you care about me enough to send your son Jesus to die for my sins so that I might be saved and given eternal life and have a relationship with you, God. You see, because of that relationship, we know who holds our future. And the one who holds our future is secure. And so when we place our faith in him, we place our trust in him, we're also placing, or we're also becoming aware of the knowledge that our future is secure. And that it is going to be gloriously good because of that relationship. Not only has God given us light and joy, but we also see that our joy in Jesus is explained in the next verses that Isaiah gives to us. That the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to do certain lives or do certain things, I'm sorry, in the lives of those who trust him. And those who receive him. And that is the hope being explained to us in verses 4 through 7. Follow along in your Bibles as I read. It says, For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder. So he's talking about the Messiah here. The Messiah has broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. 
For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. So that's talking about an end of war and and a bringing about of world peace. In verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. I'm sorry, Wonderful Counselor. That's together. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's where I want to stop for today's message. But notice with me, first of all, that Isaiah prophesies of this coming Messiah, and one of the things that he explains that he will do in the lives of his people is, first of all, break the yoke of slavery. Break the yoke of slavery. What does that mean for us today? How does that apply in our lives? Well, listen, we have to realize that there is such a thing in this world as the yoke of slavery to sin. So many people today are enslaved because of sin and enslaved to sin. In other words, they're living a life that is actually dominated by sin. They have no choice other than to go through with sinful acts. Slaved, enslaved to sin. Satan likes to disguise the destructiveness of sin in our day. He always has. But in our day, things uh, you know, the, the, the modern day psychologists have given us labels that we like to refer to in order to not have to take responsibility for the sin that enslaves us. Things like social drinking, things like sex addiction, substance abuse, and there's others, alcoholism, and all of these other things. But the Bible doesn't mess around with words, the Bible calls it how it is. Because the Bible offers real truth and real hope and real eternal life. The Bible cuts through those things, those disguises that Satan loves to bring. And he, the Bible just calls it drunkenness. The Bible calls it lust and sexual immorality. The Bible refers to substance abuse as sorcery and or idolatry. We might look at it as if sin were a doorway this morning. You see, if sin were a doorway, it would start with being opened just a crack. But that crack leads to a wedge being placed, which turns into an open door, which then comes to that door being removed from its hinges and becoming a main entrance in our lives. That's how Satan loves to wreck lives. He deceives us into thinking, oh, we can control sin. We can control the darkness. And we'll just crack it open a little bit. But that crack often becomes a wedge, which later becomes an opening, which later gets slammed wide open and trampled upon. Satan baits the hook, and once he has us, it's not easy to get free. But listen, that is where Jesus comes in. That is where we come to celebrate his life on occasions like the Sunday before Christmas and really every Sunday of the year, in my opinion, 
every Sunday and every day is a celebration of the good news of Jesus Christ for me. But Jesus offers us real hope because Jesus has been delivering people from sin and from the strongholds of sin for over 2,000 years. He can and will do that today if you will cooperate with His Holy Spirit and you'll surrender your life to Him. Jesus is in the business of deliverance. He breaks the yoke of slavery. But that isn't all that Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would do. He also says that he lifts the burden of meaningless labor from our lives there in verse 4. Isaiah here is looking back to the Egyptian oppression and the the slavery of the Israelites in that nation and the exodus of the Israelites. And he reminds his people here that besides breaking the yoke of slavery, the Messiah also gives meaning and purpose to life. You see, instead of meaningless labor under the yoke of slavery, the Messiah fills people with a sense of purpose and a labor of love. Just this last week, I spent some time listening to the testimony of a man who had spent time in prison for crimes he had committed. And as he got out of prison, he was trying to transition from life in prison back to a life outside of bars, back to a, a, a normal life, we might say. And he happened to get, or he was, you know, struggling with not getting caught back up into those negative influences in his life. And in the process, he happened to get plugged into a church where he met a man whose first question to him was, hey, do you know Jesus And because of that question, was able to strike up a conversation. The man said, well, yes, I was introduced to Jesus while I was in prison. A lot of guys come to meet the Lord there. But it's a struggle for us when we get out and we don't have that same structure in our life. And so this man referred him to a discipleship program, an intensive discipleship program through the local church. And he ended up going and and, and he spent some time in a room or, or rooming with a man that was dying of cancer. And he said that in the night he would wake up and he would hear the man sleeping on the other bed whose body was just racked with pain. He would stiffen in his bed and there would be groanings and mutterings and he would say some things under his breath. And so in the morning this man spoke to him and he said, what were you saying? I'm curious, what do you talk about when you're, you know, you're, you're sleeping at night? And he said, well, in those moments when my body is racked with pain... I begin to quote scripture that I've memorized over the years. And it is those scriptures that give me peace in my mind and help me to get through those episodes of pain that my body is just racked with because of the cancer. And they also keep me from straying off in temptation of doubt, the temptation of doubting God in those times. And he shared that with this younger man. And this younger man saw, wow, that it's working. (laughs) The power of God's word is working in this man's life in a real way. Made an impression on him. So he began to memorize scripture and meditate upon scripture. And his life became totally transformed as a result. He ended up meeting a young lady, a young Christian lady, and got married. They became missionaries for many years in a foreign country. And when I saw this man, he was sharing his testimony at a funeral about how God had led him to memorize scripture through this other Christian brother. And he said that that is what, that is what 
basically has filled his life with a passion. He has a ministry now that helps transition other prisoners from jail into regular life. But this didn't happen by chance. That's why I'm sharing this story with you this morning. This happened because Jesus entered into this man's life and became his loving Lord and Savior and gave him a meaning and a purpose for his life. Filled him with passion. Filled him with a purpose to live for. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And, and here's the kicker right here. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, as human beings, we've been created. We've been created for good works in Christ Jesus. We've been created to worship. We've been created to follow. But, but we will not find joy in our lives unless we find the yoke that Jesus has for us. You see, only Jesus can give us the yoke that is easy and the burden that feels light. Only Jesus can fill our lives with joy and a passion and a purpose. We've been created for that yoke, his yoke, and and his burden. Anything else in our lives, and we will not have joy. Not only has the Lord Jesus come to break the yoke of slavery and to give meaningful purpose to our lives, but he's also come to break the rod of the oppressor. Notice there in verse 4. Isaiah says that he breaks the rod or the oppressor's rod. Now, the oppressor of the people of God, church, is the enemy of God, Satan. And Satan works together with the world and with our sin nature to tempt us and to draw us away from the goodness of our Heavenly Father. But here, Isaiah prophesies that because of Jesus, because of Him, He's going to develop this relationship with His people that is going to help us to break the rod of the oppressor in our lives. Church, only a real relationship with Jesus breaks the rod of the oppressor. Fourthly, Jesus also comes to bring peace on the earth. Did you notice that in verse 5? All of that equipment, all of that gear, which is associated with war, with soldiering, with battles, it's going to be burned. In other words, it's going to become totally useless. Can you imagine a world where war is no longer fought? Where there is no more use for soldiering and the equipment of soldiers That's the peace that Jesus is finally going to institute in his second coming when he comes. Now, the fruit of salvation is always peace. When Jesus came for the first coming, which we celebrate in a couple of days, he came to bring peace, but it's an individual peace. It's offered to individuals through the spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. But one day, when Jesus comes again, it's going to lead That spiritual kingdom in men's hearts is going to become a physical kingdom here on the earth. And his peace, it will lead to peace on the entire earth. You see, when Jesus returns to the earth in the second coming, he's going to institute a godly government in which he himself is going to become the leader 
And as a leader, he gives, he, he gives four titles there. Notice these titles. I want to take a minute this morning to look at them. The first one is Wonderful Counselor. So first of all, Jesus comes to set up his earthly kingdom, but he doesn't come as a dictator. He comes as a wonderful counselor. Notice that. That word, wonderful counselor, in the Hebrew, it speaks of God's supernatural wisdom. His supernatural ability to guide us in the truth. Because of Jesus Christ's wisdom, because Jesus Christ himself is the word of God, he's a friend like no other friend. There's no other counselor as wise as he is. And he has the word of God to impart to you and to me. More than a psychiatrist, more than a psychologist, more than counseling, we need Jesus Christ, our wonderful counselor. He primarily speaks to us through his word. And as you memorize it, as you meditate on it, you will find that to be true. But he has not only given us his word, he's also given us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is also able to lead us and guide us in the truth. The Holy Spirit makes God's word come alive to our hearts and speaks to us. Also, he's known as mighty God. And this title uniquely reminds us that Jesus, the Messiah, is God. His nature is divine. He is deity in human form. He is the God-man. Many Christians, however don't understand this fully. I was surprised to learn in a recent survey called The State of Theology by Ligonier Ministries that an attempt was made to take the spiritual temperature of the nation through this survey. They do it every two years. And in one section of the poll where they were talking to evangelical Christians, which is the category that this church would fall into, evangelical Christians were asked if they agreed or disagreed with the following statement. Jesus is the first and greatest created human or being created by God. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And then the question is, agree or disagree? Now, on the screen are the results, and in graph form, the lighter gray is from 2016, the darker is from 2018, and the results show that 78% of evangelicals agree with the statement that Jesus Christ is a created being that he is God's greatest created being. But the problem with agreeing with that statement is that if that's true, then Jesus cannot be mighty God because mighty God by his very nature is eternal and not a created being. An eternal being has no beginning or end. And God has to be eternal. And so Jesus if he is mighty God, cannot be a created being. But that's where we have to realize the Bible never teaches us that Jesus is a created being. John 1.1 tells us that Jesus was the Word. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus the Messiah is our mighty God. And as such, he is worthy of all our praise and honor and love. Not only that, he is our everlasting Father. This attribute of the Messiah, again, points to His deity. He is eternal or everlasting, but that's not all that we're to get out of this title. You see, this title also and mainly refers to His loving nature. 
The reigning King Jesus will have the heart of a father for his children towards all mankind. All the world will see and know his father's heart for his kids. It's going to be amazing. In fact, it is amazing. Lastly, he is going to be known as the Prince of Peace, and he is known as the Prince of Peace today. Now, peace, when you think about it, peace is personal fulfillment, it's well-being, peace is harmony, and it's also friendship with God. The verb Salem in the Hebrew language means to be whole and to be complete. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, referring to the fact that he is the chief means by which our peace is achieved and realized. You see, it is through knowing him that we find true peace. Where there is no king, there can be no peace. Or, as it's also been said in another way, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. Notice in verse 7 with me that Isaiah prophesies that of his government there is no end. Once Jesus returns... His rule will be unchanging in its character forever and ever, church. This promise is going to be fulfilled, Isaiah says there in verse 7, because of the zeal of God, because of his faithfulness to his own promises, because of his commitment to his own word, because of his own passion for his own glory. No one can stop the Lord. As you can see, There's lots of things that Jesus still has yet to do. But the Bible tells us that one day, because Jesus humbled himself and stepped out of heaven and became a man, took on human flesh, and died on a cross so that he could take the sin of the world upon his shoulders and rescue humanity, because he did that, That God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus. And there's coming a time, church, when we hear that name, when every knee will bow, whether on the earth or under the earth, every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Because all will recognize and understand he alone is worthy. He alone is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace so today we celebrate that kingdom today it's a spiritual kingdom of peace within our hearts many of us can testify to how the prince of peace has touched us and changed us and transformed us and is still doing that today but one day that kingdom is going to be realized And we're going to step into that kingdom for the rest of eternity. Jesus offers us today true and lasting hope because he is the light that shines in the darkness. If you have not received him, I pray that you would do so today. I pray that you would open your heart to Jesus. If you have received him, I pray that you would remember how great and how awesome he is and what exactly it is that we're celebrating two days from today. This amazing, wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace. And ask yourself the question, hey, has, has the peace of God come to rest in my heart? 
Or am I letting other things crowd that out? Am I letting other things distract me from what I'm really supposed to be celebrating at this time of the year? Let's pray.